0: Today's conversation is so refreshing. You know, because social media, let's be honest, it just, it's everybody's best game. And what's the real story behind the story? Well, you're going to get some today from Jonathan and Verna Del Turco. There are a couple of leaders that I met last year when I spoke at their church at a conference in Boston. And it was an amazing couple of days, but meeting them was a real highlight because they've done this together in ministry for 40 years. And you know what? they're honest. They they talk about how they almost killed each other, <laughs> not quite, but close and how it was really tough at the beginning and how they've worked through it, how they figured out to work together. And I just find as a leader, when people are honest and transparent, it just makes me feel so much better about my life. So maybe this will give you hope and give you some encouragement. And I just applaud them for their faithfulness both in their marriage and also in their ministry, but I love their honesty. So you're going to meet a couple of new leaders today that I think you're going to love. I loved them for sure. And so that interview is coming up today. also want to let you know, hey, we are in the final week of the High Impact Leader launch. That's right. We opened up the High Impact Leader course, which is all about getting time, energy, and priorities working in your favor. Now, the backstory to the course is, as a lot of you know, 11 years ago, I burned out and I have been committed in the last 11 years to finding a new rhythm that doesn't lead to burnout. But what I accidentally discovered is a path that actually leads to huge productivity gains, which is why I've been able to write books and speak to leaders and work at a church full time and and actually do podcasts like this. And like, I'm I'm just, I'm the most shocked person. It's like, How did this happen? And so many of you were asking, I thought, I'm going to write this stuff down. And the High Impact Leader course was born. And what I do in the High Impact Leader course is I just share everything I've learned about getting time, energy, and priorities working in your favor. Now, we've had a lot of leaders go through this already when we opened it up the first time, and I want to share a little bit uh, about their story. Um, Stephen Nelson, who's a lead pastor of Awakened Church and a church planter, said, by the way, I've been sticking to the fixed calendar for seven days now. I'm getting far more done than before. I'm hitting my goals, and what few deadlines I have with more free time than I anticipated. It's a great change. The staff at Red Rock Church in Colorado Springs went through it. Pam, one of their uh, leaders, said, "It this is a game-changer. Al Kazi at Gwinnett Church wrote, first of all, he says, I just really appreciate your help in getting this information to our teams to help us understand how to work more efficient. As I told Jeff Henderson, our lead pastor, I had a 30-day planning meeting before we finished this exercise from 1 to 3 p.m. It was a disaster. Nobody was focused. Everyone said the meeting felt long. When we finished the high-impact leader, I said, well, no wonder. I'd never thought about the fact, Al says, that everybody was just tired at that time of day. So what Gwinnett Church has done is completely reorganized their calendar and schedule as teams and as individuals based on the high-impact leader. So uh, I could go on and on. I won't. But there's a lot of changed lives as a result. And that's what I hope for from you. So you can go to the highimpactleader.com. You'll see there's different editions, including a new premium kit that we're releasing. So uh, there are limited quantities. We may be sold out by now. I don't know. But it includes a moleskin journal, um, a physical kit. All the different levels of the High Impact Leader course come with private Facebook access. I'm setting up a, a new Facebook group. I'm going to be in it live, and you can get access to that. And for those of you who have purchased the High Impact Leader course before and enrolled, there's some upgrade there. So you can get some of the new materials we're offering at um, a lower price. So anyway, go to the highimpactleader.com. It actually disappears at the end of this week. Thursday's the last day. So don't wait because the course is going to close and it's not going to come back for a long time. So thank you to all of you who've made that great. Also want to thank a brand new partner to the podcast. And he was our guest last week. That's Tony Morgan and he runs the Unstuck Group. And, you know, I-, I talk to church leaders all the time. We all get stuck, don't we? I mean, I get stuck, you get stuck, and you get stuck for different reasons. Big churches get stuck, small churches get stuck. Well, what the Unstuck Group has done for us at Connexus Church has brought us an outside perspective to help your team assess your ministry's health. I've used them as a leader, um, well, a number of years ago, five years ago. We brought them back in a couple years ago to help us with visioning. So whether you're stuck on team, stuck on visioning, stuck on strategy, they can help. They've served churches from under 100 in attendance to over 20,000. And if you want more information, go to the unstuckgroup.com. Also want to thank trainedup.church. Man, they've got a brand new program out there for you to help you train your volunteers. And imagine this, imagine 100%. Of your volunteers trained. You can do that by producing your own training material and then uploading it to trainedup.church so that they provide the platform for you. They actually have done for you training videos already. Or let's say you have the vision, but you don't have the gear. You can actually do a pay-as-you-go video production service that they offer. And uh, you got to check them out at trainedup.church. And thank you for our partners because they make this podcast possible. So uh, give them a shout out, tell them I sent you, and thanks so much for listening. And here is what I think is a so refreshing, honest, life-giving conversation with Jonathan and Verna Del Turco. Well, we're doing something a little bit different on the podcast, and I'm really excited for this. We have um, Jonathan and Verna Del Turco on the podcast today. Welcome, guys.
1: Thank you. Hi, Carrie. It's Great to be here.
0: Yeah, we met uh, what at the end of 2016. You ran a great conference at your church uh, in Boston, and uh, I was watching the dynamic between the two of you, married for a long time, leading together for decades. And I thought we got we got to have this conversation. We really, really do. So, give us the the quick background on uh, the two of you and your leadership and your time in ministry.
1: Well, we we've been in ministry 40 years. Uh, this June will be 41, and um ministry and marriage at the same time, uh, 40 years. And, uh, we, we have, we had a vision from the very beginning, even though in our upbringing, we only saw the the pastor, uh, leading, we never saw the wife, oftentimes never even knew who the wife was. Hmm. And we had, a, we purposed in our hearts that we wanted to work together, never saw a real good example, uh, but knew in our hearts that this was something we wanted to do. And so we kind of pioneered, not knowing a whole lot, we, started meeting a few people that uh, were working together. And uh, we thought that's exactly what God has in our heart to do. And uh, we knew that there'd be some things we'd have to press through and learn and develop in. And and uh, we're grateful that we did. So we've been at this a long time.
0: That's great. Verna, is that the truth? You got you to tell us. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
2: we've been at it a long time. We've, we've been yeah. there you know, 41 years, but I like to say the first five don't really count because they were... They were more than bumpy for us. Uh, And the hard part was that we didn't really have anybody to help navigate us through all that. In the circles we were in, nobody talked about anything. And it's what I really appreciate, Carrie, uh, today about all the young ministers coming up. They'll see a counselor if they need a counselor. They'll talk to somebody. They'll get the help that they need. That wasn't the culture that we were in in our denomination. So we suffered privately for several years.
0: Oh, that's hard. I mean, so you got married in, what, 1976? 1976.
2: Um, yeah. I was 20. Jonathan was 21. And uh, we went right into full-time ministry right out of college. So we didn't even have a wow. breather. We didn't know what we were doing or how to do it. And nobody seemed interested enough to help us along the <laughs> way. <so. laughs>
0: I guess, I mean, I was, uh, I was a kid in the 70s. So, I mean, I didn't really experience that as a young adult. But like, there just there wasn't permission to speak freely in those days or you didn't feel permission to talk about the bumps you were having like were pastors expected to be perfect or how did that work? because you know that's a lot of change at once, going from college to graduation to getting married to going into ministry, but then going into ministry together. That's crazy.
1: Well, you know one of the things that we had to learn the hard way was safe harbor. Uh, mm. you know, we didn't have safe harbor because Thank typically you. when something came up, or something was said, it, it, it got around. It was like it was almost oh, published.
2: Wow. So there was it was not preached that, about.
1: It was preached about from the pulpit, or it, it, was, it was spread around. There was no real confidentiality. We, felt, we didn't feel protected. We didn't feel any safe harbor. That's why we've worked hard over the years to develop safe harbor in our marriage, with our children, with our leaders, uh, with those that we're in relationship with. Safe harbor is so important, and so many people just don't have it. And we mm. had minister friends that were so embarrassed what would people think and they're not married today they could have gotten help and could have saved themselves could have saved their marriage ministry but nobody got help because nobody knew where to go and and it wouldn't be confidential so no safe harbor
0: Well and you are kind of living in a fishbowl. I mean I've heard yes. a lot of pastors describe it that way and a lot of ministry leaders describe it that way. You feel like your life is on public display. So to the extent that you're comfortable share um A little bit, like, what made those first five years tough, other than your two human beings trying to figure out how to do life together? What were some of the flashpoints you had in those first years of marriage?
2: Well, we were very young to begin with. I mean, both Jonathan and I come out of very strong Christian homes. So it wasn't that we didn't have examples. Longevity is in our family. My parents were married 70 years. Jonathan's parents just celebrated their 65th wedding anniversary. So we were around good, strong marriages and we loved each other, but we just didn't know how to live together and then be thrust into ministry uh, was just really more than we could handle without anybody to talk to and help us navigate through those first years. That's why we have such a heart for ministers and all these young couples going into ministry today. We want to be there for them.
1: Yeah. And I, I was extremely selfish. Um, there's no doubt that Verna was the giver. I was the taker. There's no mm. doubt that, that uh, you know, both leaders, very detailed people, very passionate, two passionate Italians who had to have the, the last word. Uh, and it, it just that dynamic without any referees, without any counseling, uh, and just had to prove our point and And it got difficult. Uh, and 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 then in the process, you know, we we left the denomination that we were in and and we felt very alone in that setting, no one mm. to go to. We felt abandoned. We felt rejected. Uh, we felt like we were in a in a very dark place, and uh, it it just got from bad to worse. And we uh, really decided in separate rooms that we were uh, going to leave the ministry in the early uh, early '80s, and uh, just felt like it was a, it was too hard. We weren't going to do this. And uh, it became very difficult and one that we just didn't have the answers to. And we just had to press and not quit and not give up.
2: Mm-hmm. One of the turning points for me, Carrie, was just uh, one time I had a loan with the Lord and I was just I didn't I didn't know what to do. I was really unhappy. Sure. And uh, he spoke something to my heart that I will never forget. And I have shared this over the past 40 years. And he very quietly said to me, Verna, the strength of your ministry will come out of the strength of your home. And mm. I have never, ever forgotten that. And through the years, at that moment, that was uh, a new launching point for us. The strength of our ministry will come out of the strength of our home, which meant we needed to give attention to us and to our home. And out of the strength of our marriage and our home, we would have a strong ministry.
0: It's very yeah. easy to get that backwards, isn't it? To yes, because yeah, yeah. And and I think, I don't know, I don't want to make assumptions, but I think particularly for guys, right, it's easier to win at work than it is to feel like you're winning at home and to make the investment at work than at home. I, I appreciate you, you know, and there's tens of thousands of leaders listening to this right now. And you've already rung the bell of thousands of them going, yeah, that's pretty much how I feel. Like everything's changed and nothing's changed. Do you know what I mean? In 40 years yeah. that... A lot of people probably still don't have safe harbor, or they've got one or two people, but they feel like they're living in a fishbowl, and uh, home is coming at the expense of ministry. What were some keys to you guys getting through those first five years?
2: Um, For me, it was knowing that we were so unstable that we had to hang on to something that was stable, Hmm. Uh, because we were all over the place. So we had to hold on to something that was stable— And for me, it was, even though I was brought up in a Christian home, it was having a relationship with the Word of God that I had not really had at that point. I loved God. I loved the work of God, but I didn't have a relationship with His Word. And I knew one thing, that the Word said it was forever settled. And we were so unsettled Hmm. that we had to hold on to what was settled and what was stable. So it started a new relationship with God and His Word, uh for me, I don't know what Jonathan would say for that I think you would agree, but for me totally. it was having to hold on to what was not gonna change because everything around us was changing.
1: what was yeah. it
0: for you, Jonathan?
1: Well, for me, uh one of the things that the Lord spoke to my heart um was to have a strong, secure love walk and um so you know one of the things that I've realized is our lens our 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 core. Was unhealthy, so everything we looked at was unhealthy, mm-hmm. and so you know we 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 view life not as it is as we know it said, but as we are. So, yeah. uh, so life was a, a lens that was very an unhealthy me, and so I saw everything different. I saw everything wrong, and I, I I felt like the Lord spoke to my heart and said, "There's this love is the master lens. Love will absolutely clean up." all the other lenses and, and when you have the your view of love and from the nature of God on the inside of you and love becomes your lens like for instance I, I had a, a car that had a, a GPS system and uh, one day I put in the address and it told me to go left and there was no left it so it told me to go right and there was no right and so I put it in again and realized whoa something's really wrong with this so I went to the dealer and, and lo and behold somehow the internal mechanism of that GPS turned to the central part of the United States. And, and no matter how good my address was, it wasn't, I couldn't get there from here huh. because my, my internal lens was wrong. And so when, when they fixed the GPS, I could put the right address in and get to where I had to go. And so love and, and reading the love chapter every day, the Lord gave me instructions about reading the love chapter every day, uh, going through that on, in the Amplified version, I had these affirmations, these declarations that I made over myself and, and changed my view. So love became my lens and really became the key to everything from leadership to loving my wife, to our children, to adversity. Um, it, 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 it absolutely changed because I saw life differently through the lens of love instead of just myself and my feelings. My selfishness totally changed everything about our life, our ministry, our marriage, our fruitfulness, our longevity, uh, that lens made all the difference in the world.
0: It sounds like the two of you came to, um, you know, a different place or a healthier place, almost like, was it individually? Did you go see a counselor? You said you felt very alone, or this like was just the providential grace of God that you both landed in a new place and it was sort of a a self-journey? Is that what happened?
2: It was definitely the grace of God because we really did not have anybody to talk to. Wow. So, um, and I remember, too, saying to myself, maybe it'll help if I just stop trying to change him, Hmm. you know, and let God work on me. But it seemed to me that if everything about him would change, I would be okay.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that the way it always (laughs) is for Exactly.
2: Uh. Because he was the problem. Surely it wasn't me. He was the problem you know so when i try to just stop looking at because for me you know he was jonathan was everything my father he he wasn't anything like my dad and okay. so i wasn't feeling the security with him that i did with my father um jonathan was an only child so he got away with a lot as an only child so <laughs> when we got married he didn't know anything about a checkbook or paying bills and those were all things that my dad had taken care of so i felt you know quite secure and now I'm feeling very insecure with this man yeah. I'm spending the rest of my life with now we're in ministry we live out of state I'm away from my family you know how do we get through all of this and I just remember that moment thinking maybe if I stop trying to change him and 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 can see the things in me that need to be transformed things will begin to change and it was a, it was definitely a process um, but, and it was God's grace that got us through Carrie. That's, that's really.
0: Well, no kidding. But Verna, like, I mean, I know people who <laughs> others would say for decades, Hey, you need to stop looking at him and look at you. And for you to find that on your own is, is really quite amazing.
3: Well, that
1: yeah, that was <laughs> a turning point for both of us. Because when, when I start pointing my finger at her and she stopped pointing her finger at me, um, and we, we just pointed a finger at each, at ourselves. Uh, it was amazing when, when that, when that um, uh, changed in us, what happened was almost 85% of what we were going through changed. There was still all this other stuff that we had to work, but just the change, the fact that I was no longer blaming her and she was no longer blaming me. And we realized that we had to work on each other. I had to work on myself, and she had to work on herself. That change in attitude really began the whole dynamic of our change.
0: That's amazing. And that was around the five year mark in your Mm -hmm. marriage?
1: Yes. Yeah, it was.
0: Wow. Did you, uh, I guess, uh, did you have kids by that point or not yet?
2: We did. We had, um, I think, two children by that point. But if I could just mention one other thing that was really critical for me, Carrie, and that was when I came to the realization that it it wasn't always about being right in in our marriage. Whatever we were arguing about, whatever the situation was, it didn't have to be much. We could go to zero and 60 in two seconds flat. It didn't have to be much to get us to that point of strife. But when I when I realized that it it wasn't about me having to be right in everything, but making a choice to do right. Mm. I don't have to be right, but I have to make a choice to do what is right, which always brought me back to God's word being forever settled. And so I was going to do what God said to do in those situations. So that really helped. Uh, get me out of any type of driver's seat I felt I needed to be in and just know the best and healthiest thing for us was for me not to have to be right, but to do what was right. And sometimes it was saying sorry when I didn't really feel like I had to say I was sorry, but I did it anyway. Sometimes it was, uh, I mean, it could be a myriad of things, but doing what's right has to be the priority over having to be right all the time. And then that's, that's helped us work together. Surely helped us work
0: together. Absolutely. Were you working together when things were falling apart? Not not at that point.
2: Well, we always worked together, but I had two babies, so I wasn't in the office with him. Right. Um, And, and we hadn't started this church at that point. So when we did start IFC in 1981, um, yeah, we had to navigate through all of that.
1: We did,
0: yeah. right? So you were leaving. You were leaving your denomination and church at the time <laughs> while you were on year five of what was becoming a bad marriage, going mm-hmm. through your transformation, and then you started a church in the middle of that.
2: Um, we were, near we the were end.
0: yeah, near we were end. on a better. So side. you are already starting to get better. Oh yeah! Wow. we
2: definitely, definitely. Uh, were.
1: Uh, one of the thing my father gave us such great counsel. Uh, we started the church November of eighty one. In, in the beginning of the year, we were at our low point, a very low point. and my my dad gave us some very good counsel. He says, "You could be bitter or you can be better." Hmm. And uh, a lot of bitterness was rising up, uh, feeling abandoned, feeling alone, feeling like this isn't right, feeling you know, slighted in so many ways, uh, offended. and And that just absolutely made a decision to focus, to take that turn towards better. And away from bitter just was a focus that really galvanized our desire to take this finally and get this over the hump and be free and choose better instead of bitter. And we've been doing that ever since, Mm -hmm. constantly choosing better versus bitter.
0: Now, I'm going to assume there was stuff to forgive. Um, How did you put your bitterness and your contempt and your anger toward each other? Like, how did you overcome that? Because a lot of couples never get past that point. There's an underlying resentment that never really goes away. How did how did you guys embrace forgiveness and truly the new chapter? You know, it's what you mentioned—the love chapter. But like, keep no record of wrongs. Easier right. said than done.
2: Gosh, it was such a such a process. I mean, it's it, it's such a fight, Carrie. I mean, yeah, the scripture yeah, says, is. you know, fight fight the fight of faith. So even when you forgive somebody for whatever we you know we we were both very mouthy and which is something I never was uh, and neither one of us were but we just loved each other we just seemed to be bringing out the worst in each other yeah. we, we you know we just couldn't figure out why how can we love each other and be bringing out you know the worst in each other how are we doing this to each other and um, it was just a, such a process of having to put our feelings down and how we felt, go back to what was stable. And, you know, one of our favorite uh, phrases over the years has been stay the course, just stay the course, stay steady. Let's just stay the course. And we made a very, we made a commitment in the beginning years of our marriage, when things were really bad, that we would never talk about divorce and that quitting was not an option for us. Those are two Mm. things we said, we will not talk about divorce. And quitting is not an option. And I think those two commitments that we made to each other just kept us pressing. I mean, we're stubborn.
3: Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. It, kept
2: us, it kept us moving in the right direction towards, you know, towards restoration. Because we said we said horrible things to each other. Our words sure. were weapons, and uh, and they don't go away fast. You you relive those words over and over again. But over a process of time, and just committing ourselves to not quit. Uh, again, God's grace just carried us. And when I think about those times, Carrie, how bad those first years were, now on this side, it seems like a dream. I think, was that really us? Right. <laughs> were we really that bad? Did we really say those things? And I think that's a work of grace that God does in us, too, where mm-hmm. you can think about the past and think about hurt, but the sting is gone. You know. And I would say that to any couples listening today, if they've had issues in their marriage, things they've had to forgive each other for, God will help you, and a time will come where you will look back and you'll, you'll know it happened to you, but the sting of it will be gone.
1: Absolutely. Well said. Yeah, well said.
0: Well, uh, let me ask you, because you've had now uh, 35 better years, right, of marriage. Yes. Mm-hmm. What are some personal guidelines or boundaries that have helped you guys stay the course?
1: Oh, my. We... Um... You know, we, we, we determined in our hearts that because we weren't quitters, because we knew that we had uh, an absolute desire to make a difference in people's lives, uh, that we just knew uh, that we were going to um, put our whole heart and soul into this and that we understood the fact that God would bless our hand, whatever we put our hand to, we knew that we had to stay busy. We knew that we had to be had to be about people. And we made up our minds right away that we weren't going to make it about us, that we were going to make it about others. Mm. Uh, one of the things that we say over and over again that we always want to outgive the givers. So mm. generosity was very important to us. The giving part. There's something about being a giver. There's something about looking at somebody else's need. There's something about pouring yourself into the, the needs of others, the lives of others, and 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 not being afraid to get your hands dirty, not being afraid of of really getting involved with other people's lives and using uh, the gifts that God's given us, the gift of communication, the gift of love, the, the gift of understanding and, and having a heart for people. We developed the sixth sense, as many leaders do, mm. uh, for people, reading between the lines and hearing what somebody says, but hearing the emotional part between the lines. And sure. that's really where the needs are met, when you can read between the lines and hear emotional part not just the factual part that they want you to hear but there's something about reading between the lines and hearing the real heart of someone that you really can feel what they feel and and tap into their the 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 center of their issue and it really makes all the difference in the world because this relationship begins to develop trust begins to develop and so we at this point understood safe harbor and it made big difference knowing that we are, are pouring ourselves into making sure that we made it all about people and not about ourselves.
3: Hmm.
0: Other boundaries or guardrails that, to guidelines that, that helped you stay the course?
2: I think one of the things, too, is that I know a lot of uh, ministers joke about this, but one of the things that we didn't do was quit every Monday morning. I know right. every minister wants to quit every Monday morning. And we just said, you know, we're not going to say that, even though we feel like it. And then we've had over 35 years. We've had a lot of really bad Sunday mornings. um, And you just, we just say to each other, there's always next week. Next week will be better. So Mm -hmm. I I think a lot of times, you know, your mindset and what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. And a couple coming to the place where they make those decisions and what those boundaries are going to be. I mean, boundaries go into many areas. How you deal with the opposite sex, how you're going to deal with your staff, Mm -hmm. how you're going to deal with people. So discussing those things is really important. So like I said, we said we're never, we're not going to talk about divorce. We're not going to, quitting is not an option for us. We're not going to quit every Monday morning. We, we'll fix it next week. There's always next week. So um, what are some of the guidelines, uh, the specific areas you want us to touch on when you talk about guidelines and boundaries? Yeah,
0: like if you have anything more specific, this is good because I mean... You've, you've got a vibrant yeah. marriage and vibrant leadership for four decades. I think we're all listening. If there's anything else, yeah. if not, we'll move on. Well, the, there
1: there was. The um, the first time as a pastor, you know, I heard the pastors go away to pray. So that's one of the things mm-hmm. as a young pastor, I guess, well, I guess I better go away, you know, to pray and hear from God. So I checked into a hotel. This was the first time. Church is brand new. Um, the, the lights went off that night, and I get a phone call, uh, and it's a, a young woman's voice asking if she wanted to come up to my room if i wanted her to come up to my room i thought it was i thought what i mean all these thoughts went through my mind how how do you know i'm by myself this is a a pretty nice hotel um and at first and she she made some comments and at first i thought is this you verna you know thinking she's kidding around or thinking that she's making fun or trying to set me up and i realized right away that and she and the voice said who's verna um And so she started talking about how, what age she was, where she went to college and, and so forth. And, and I, so it wasn't very soon that she said, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a minister. I'm happy married and click. um, And, and the phone went down, but I, the lights were out and I began to think, I wonder what she looked like. I began to get these thoughts and I knew that what I needed to do was needed to call my wife. Mm. And so I, I called Verna. And And Verna, she was the uh, most amazing. she didn't overreact uh, like some woman would have. She didn't say, "Who did you flirt with in the lobby, and what did you do, and you're always so kind and talk to so many people um, And she said, "Oh this, this is the devil." And she immediately prayed for me and said and, and really commanded whatever was trying to happen to, to come off me, my thought life, everything else. it, it totally went away, but her response totally changed everything about how we handle any kind of time we feel uncomfortable, mm. with the opposite sex. We are so free to share with each other. She gets a hug that she doesn't like. I get a hug. She, do- I don't like, or I'm on an airplane. I'm in an air- exercise room. Something happens. A, a is passed. Something is said. And I immediately call my wife. We, we have this bond That's for you that, that absolutely we were not intimidated to share things <clears throat> that some other couples might, you know, open the door for more arguments. We had such liberty and freedom in that, and that really helped create a boundary. Not knowing that back in the day, it has become a mainstay for us that has kept us safe.
0: That's really good, because I think a lot of spouses would be tempted to instinctively hide that from their spouse, right? Because you feel like somehow you're implicated. It's funny, sometimes my wife will tell me she still gets compliments from people you know and and just random guys will give her a compliment and it's weird because I hadn't thought about that but when she tells me that it makes me feel better first of all yep. I'm like haha you can't have her and secondly <laughs> you yeah. know there's a there's a there's just a a deeper sense of security I don't really get mad at 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 them you know I don't we don't have a lack of trust in that area um, but there is something that's actually ultimately bonding about
1: that. The thing that we learned was if Verna would have reacted adversely, the next time I would have shut down.
0: Absolutely. The fact
1: that, the fact that she didn't re- you know, respond in a negative way or get on my case, uh, and the fact that she was so kind and so generous about it and so willing to come to my aid and surround me with her prayer, mm. it changed everything. If she would have gave me a hard time, everything would have changed the second time i would have not gone there like most men would have uh, it set the course it, it was it was life changing
0: how would you say you have stayed fresh over the years like it is four decades of marriage but i mean i think i've spent enough time with you guys in person to to sense a passion for you there's no there doesn't seem i'm sure you've had fatiguing days but you know you 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 meet leaders who have done it for a while and sometimes their eyes are dull, and you know the words are there, but there's no passion behind them. And I don't pick that up in you guys. I mean, you, you love ministry, you love life, you love your family, you love each other, and you're thinking more about the future than you are about the past or the present. How, how have you done that? How have you stayed so fresh and so vibrant and excited about the future?
2: Well, first I would say, you know, for the people listening to this, not to think that Jonathan and Verna's life has not been without, you know, adversity and opposition. It's Mm -hmm. been a fight to get to where we are today. So, you know, that part of it hasn't been easy. And we've had to travel that journey, you know, together. So getting to where we are now, where we are now and living in the peace and joy that we do was not an overnight. There's no overnight success. You know right. anybody that has an overnight success? It's a long night. You know, it's a very <laughs> long night. That's and so I, I don't want anybody thinking that Jonathan and Vern have been, you know, like this for forty-one years. We're we're happy now. We're content. We've always loved ministry. We've always loved each other. But living together and working together has been a journey. Um, and I feel like we're we're in the victory part of our journey and have been. We love life. We've always loved ministry, Carrie. We've always Mm. loved um, the people of God. And um, the people here at IFC have been so good to us. They've just been wonderful. You know, we have some 60 nations here at the church. So we've got people from all over the world who trust these two Italians to to take (laughs) them closer to God. And it's humbling. Our knees knock all the time thinking about the responsibility that that God has given us that really every time the doors of IFC open, the nations gather here and uh, and we love it. We've always loved it. I I don't know how anybody can have passion, at at least in ministry and being a Christ follower. Our passion has to come from our fellowship and communion with the Lord and with the Holy Spirit. Um, What we do is not we don't look at ministry as a career. It's not a career. It's a call. Yeah. And uh, God decided to call us and we don't uncall ourselves. So it's a responsibility if we're leading people to to stay fresh. And that number one way, of course, is in the presence of God and in his word. And everything else we do is an overflow from that. Anytime we hit the bottom of the barrel or we're scraping the bottom of the barrel or on fumes, it always goes back to we haven't been doing what we know to do. And then you start giving counsel out of your head. You start making million-dollar decisions out of your head. You right. start making staff decisions out of your head. We're supposed to be led by the Spirit, but if we're not having that time in the presence of God, then, then we make really expensive mistakes Yes, living life and ministry out of our head.
0: So what specifically in each of your lives does staying close to God look like in terms of a daily routine? And sure, we all have days where we miss it, we skip it, you know, we get that. But like when you're on, what does that look like? What does your quiet time, what is your time? How do you know you're hearing from God and what are the daily disciplines you do to keep that? Well,
1: for me, obviously, it starts with, um, you know, I'm a worshiper. So I, mm. I, I like to worship. I like to put my, my, my uh, earbuds in. I like to make sure that I'm, I'm listening to good worship music. Um, out from that, it, just, it calms my soul. It gets me started in the right direction. Um, for me also, I think for both of us, uh, we, have, we have written out uh, certain declarations from God's Word about us and about how we see ourselves in mm. God's Word. And we declare those over ourselves daily. Um, who we are about our health, about our our attitude, who we are in Christ. Um, there are certain things that we have just said over and over because we find our identity in God's Word. And so again, going back to God's Word, going back to making these daily declarations over ourselves um, about everything, about, you know, that that those in Him realities uh, of who we are in Christ make, make a world of difference. Uh, and so it'll go back and forth and but those, those declarations have really targeted us and caused us to really realize what we have because we are the redeemed of the Lord, because we are His children.
0: You know, can you give me a, an example of, of what one of those declarations would be for you?
1: Yeah, I, I, I say over and over again that, that um, I operate, that, that the fruit of the Spirit are working in my life on a daily basis, and it's obvious to others, and I benefit from it and others benefit from it. So hmm. I'll talk, I'll, I'll say the fruit of the Spirit, Now I'll list the nine. It just kind of kind of rolls out of my mouth, you know, about the fruit of the Spirit, or about that I am, I, one of them is I say all the time, I am ready for anything and equal to anything through Christ who infuses inner strength in me. I am self-sufficient in Christ's efficiency.
0: Isn't um, that interesting? I've heard Craig Grishel talk about that, like making declarations, uh... And and it's interesting because I mean if you go right back to like the 1930s I think it was Napoleon Hill thinking grow rich for anybody who's ever read that book it's kind of right. inter- it's kind of you know pre Tony Robbins Tony Robbins type stuff <laughs> not quite right. but um you know he does that declaration like he does those declarations and I think that was an appropriation of of you know even some of the psalms or that sort of thing where you know, the enemy throws lies at us that we mm-hmm. are not loved, that we are not, you know, that God doesn't care about us, that God won't use us. And I think that's a really interesting discipline and not one I hear a lot of people doing.
2: But well, it's great. basically, what it basically is, is agreeing with what God has already said about us.
0: Right, and what's you actually know, true.
2: It, it, it actually, exactly. it's who we really are. And so our heads want to tell us we're something else. The enemy wants to tell us we don't have what it takes. Um, people want to tell us that they're very free to tell us we no yeah, don't yeah, yeah. what we do. So we we choose to agree with what God has said, and uh, it just brings you to a different place. And we have to do that all the time because the voices out there are so loud, telling us what we're not. Especially in ministry, everybody's comparing themselves to everybody else, and now you know with even Twitter and Instagram, everybody, I don't want to say everybody, but, you know, I'm a woman, it's everybody and always,
3: yeah. Women are know, to
2: do that, and, uh, uh-huh. but uh, so many people every week will, will list how many people they had, how many salvations they had, they just opened the church, it's 5,000 people their first Sunday, and, and you rejoice with all those people, but then you got to deal, you know, in your head, my goodness, we've been here for 35 years, just stay in the course, just stay <laughs> in the course, so we have to as uh, part of our discipline, is it, to agree with what God has said about us, and and that's just part of our, our daily routine, along with worship and the Word, and agreeing with God and saying what He has said about us, and it keeps us fresh.
0: Any other rhythms for your marriage in terms of keeping your life as leaders and and a couple fresh, like vacations or days off or anything else that you know has really kept the sparkle in your eye because that and I, I want to say that like I don't I don't mean that in a cliche way I meet a lot of leaders and you know you do this for decades and not everybody is still alive not every you know there there's a lot of people who are just put doing time they're just putting in time they're you know they've they've they're, they're sort of phoning it in and and you guys are not in any way like that from what I've been able to observe
2: there are seasons uh, for everything there are times we're doing great and then there are times we can feel uh, the gas leaking out of our tank. Yeah. And then, sure. and then we'll, then we just have to say to each other, okay, when's the last time we've done anything for us? When's the last time mm. we've really laughed? When's the last time we've just joked and played? So you always come back. I really like the word rhythm as opposed to balance because yeah. I don't think it, it, balance, everything has to be equal all the time. So I'm not sure about balance. We've yeah. not gotten there, but we've definitely found a rhythm. To our lives, and years ago we read a book uh, by Richard Exley. I believe his name is called "The Rhythm of Life," and he mm. talked about in that book having the four rhythms: work, worship, rest, and play. And so mm. we we look at that: work, worship, rest, and play. And for us, the thing that seems to uh, sometimes fall at the bottom is the play part because we both like to work. And so yeah. we have to remind ourselves to play and have fun. Uh, we haven't been big people on hobby, hobbies. The church has kind of been our hobby because we love sure. church work. But we've taken up things now that uh, we're going to enjoy together in the season. So I think the play part would be, don't you, honey, would be the yeah. rhythm that we've had to work the hardest at.
1: Yeah, I think rest and play. You know, we've learned to really protect my Mondays off. Uh, that's for us, Monday works. You mm. know, with three services on Sunday morning, it's, it's you're exhausted, you're tired. To protect that, to, to date nights, um, to really. Uh, enjoy each other, you know. When we did the five love languages, it's a great book. Yeah. Uh, you know, our love languages, our top, our top ones were both very different, and we had to learn to really love each other through um, the, each other's love language. And hers was quality time, and and you know, being an only child, my quality time was with me, and so yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, So I he had enjoyed to learn.
2: his company. <laughs> I enjoyed my own
1: company. So I, I had to learn that quality time was not just with me. Quality time was together. Uh, and so, learning when to rest, learning when to take time off, learning when to get away—you um, know, being very diligent to do uh, vacation with the kids and the family now with mm-hmm. the grandkids, and then vacation just by ourselves—you um, know, those kinds of things. So, rest and play is something that we've really worked hard at, because that's going to give us th- that longevity. Because we we love the fruitfulness of our work, we we love worshiping God and spending time with Him, um, and and the rest and the play part is really. Uh, buoyed that up to make us strong to be able to do that on a on a high level yeah. for a long period of time.
0: So, what do you do for fun these days? Do you have any hobbies? Do you have anything? You said you don't do hobbies well, and I agree. I I struggle with taking time off. So, what what works for you?
1: Well, I I'm a I'm a gun owner. Um, oh yeah. There's not many of us here in Massachusetts that are. <laughs> uh, if we are, we keep it a secret. It's not a secret anymore now. Uh, but, <laughs> That's right. So. So I, I really enjoy uh, going to the range, um, uh, doing it with other friends, doing it with my staff, uh, that really, you can't, you can't focus on shooting in the target and thinking about, you know, person, so-and-so and elder, so-and-so mm-hmm. you, you, you got to stay focused. It requires all of you. I like to fish. So those two things are big for me. Um, and, um, so I, those help me out a lot. I, I look forward to doing more of them.
2: Mm. I'm a people person, so I, I just enjoy time with the girls, uh, whether it be my daughter, my daughter-in-law, my granddaughters. Um, I enjoy time with the, the women on staff. So I, I'm a people person, so I like to be around people. I enjoy fellowship. Um, and, and that that's life-giving to me. And I think that's what everybody has to do is find what is life-giving to them because we're giving out so much.
0: You mentioned your kids. How is it that, as you've sort of raised them in the church, they I think they're all part of the church now and involved in ministry? What were some keys to that for you?
2: We have two children. Our son, Jonathan, um is the director of all the media creative teams here, productions at the church. And our daughter, Lorianne, is the elementary director here in our mm. children's ministry. And our uh, daughter-in-law is on staff here, and our son-in-law is part of the band. So it definitely is a family uh, ministry here. I I think that when God calls a husband and wife, I think the children are graced for that as well. Mm -hmm. And so from the time the kids were little, we included them in just about everything that we did. We took them to conferences when they were little. We wanted them to be around men and women of God. We wanted them to hear and and for those things to be enjoyable to them. And we were real. And I, I asked my son actually again before we went on uh, this interview with with you, Carrie, I asked him that question, and he said what he always tells people is that the reason he still loves God and ministries because what he saw at home is what he saw in the pulpit. There was no difference. Mom and dad at home or mom and dad at church were the same. So that really helped them uh, with the authenticity of ministry. To see us with challenges at home, but also to see how we prayed as a family and navigated through those challenges, yeah. and uh, and how we love ministry. We were very careful not to talk about the church or people in front of the kids. Yep. We didn't do that. We didn't talk about other ministries in front of. We we check each other on on that. Even as husband and wife, if we start to go there, we'll check each other. Now let's not go there. So that hasn't been part of the culture of our home either. Um, But the kids have always loved ministry, and we've done what we can to nurture that in them. Hmm. Absolutely.
0: Well, let me ask you, what has been your greatest challenge in working together? Because as the kids got older, I mean, you're very involved. You're basically what a lot of people would call an executive pastor, Verna. And then Mm -hmm. Jonathan, you're the senior pastor. So you're the executive director um, you've been leading the staff, executive leadership team meeting, overseeing the five main leaders of the church, Verna. How have the two of you done that? I mean, really, it's a one-two punch, right? That's what it is. It's it's like, it's like not like, oh, you're off in some corner working somewhere else. You guys are really on the same team at the heart of the ministry. How do you do that and stay married and still like each other and have a healthy church?
2: <laughs> uh I'd have to go back again to that first year of marriage uh, during that time where I was really, you know, seeking God as to to who he wanted me to be and what did he want me to do. And I i wasn't I'm not of the personality to be really in front of people. I like to be behind the scenes. I prefer mm-hmm. to prefer to be in the kitchen cooking and serving as to be in front of people. But uh, Jonathan asked me to help me help him with this. And I had the gifting to do it. So I, I do what I do not because of the need to be seen or I've got to have a part in this. I do it because 40 years ago I saw in the scripture where it said that I was to be a helpmeet to Jonathan and to, mm-hmm. and to help him. And when I looked up that word helpmeet, it means to surround with aid and assistance, continually mm-hmm. surround with aid and assistance. So I settled 40 years ago that my call was to surround Jonathan with aid and assistance and his call. Which is really what submission is. Submission, sub being under the mission. So I'm under the mission, and I support him uh, with the gifts God has given me. Has it been a challenge working together? It, it was. There were a lot of tough times that I thought I'm. I don't need to do this. And then he would ask me to please stay with it. And once we got into, you know, a rhythm with each other, it has worked really, really, really well over the over mm. the past year.
1: We had to learn our lane. You know, we had to get right. in each other the right lane. Verna's a planner. I'm a free spirit. Um,
2: sometimes Which her planning. the lack of a planner. Yeah.
1: So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so the fact remains that, that, you know, there are things that drain me and things that don't drain her. And so we had to find our lane and I had to stick with my lane and, and get out of her lane and quit trying to control her lane and quit trying to tell her how her lane should look and how fast she should go. And, and really, once we discovered our lanes and, and I let her do what she does best and she let me do what I do best, it's amazing how wonderfully it then began to complement each other um, and not try to change things in the middle of the hallway when I'm going down the hallway and I see somebody and we start talking and I'm thinking out loud and somebody else is thinking, well, this is what Pastor once done. And to learn to really get in our lane and to really communicate clearly uh, and celebrate her gift and she celebrates mine, it's no competition. It's always been completion. And we do complete each other and we stay away because the competing part is just too hard, too stressful. Um, yeah. No fruit comes out of it.
2: No. Um,
1: and once we've gotten to each other the right lane, it's amazing how fast and how productive we have become.
2: I don't do anything on my own. Everything in terms of you know decisions, everything I do is in line with our core values and the vision. And so if I have questions, of course, I'll ask Jonathan, what does he think about this? What do you want me to do with this? So it's a, it's. I'm not doing my own thing. I'm here to support his yeah. mission.
0: You know, that's a really good point. If, if you have clearly articulated values and strategy, mission, vision, mm-hmm. then you have an independent reference point. It's more right. than just what Jonathan wants as the senior leader or what other people want. It's like, No you're under those same values, mission, vision, strategy, the whole thing. Um, What do you do? Because my parents worked together successfully for over 25 years. And, uh, you know, I was always amazed, like, you know, being in the workplace myself now in ministry and and like, how do you not bring it home? Or did you bring it home? Like, how did you, how was it not just the 24-7 conversation that I could imagine it would easily become?
2: For me, I could do it 24-7 because yeah. number one, I like to talk. Number two, I love talking about the work of God and making progress in the future. Sure. And, you know, that fuels me. But there's so many times, and Jonathan's such a great balance for me. I can't tell you how many times I'd come home from the office and Jonathan would have to say to me, Take that director's hat off. You don't wear that hat here in the mm-hmm. house. So I have to remember, you know, okay, take that hat off now and just be wife. Um, but those, those were some really, uh, funny days, weren't they, Jonathan? <laughs>
1: they were, they were, I had this picture of her in her director's chair with Verna's name on the back of it with this big <laughs> megaphone and, uh, you know, and just kind of telling everybody what to do. And I said, okay, hey, come on. This is, we're home now. This is, and I, it's easy for me to unplug. It, it, there are seasons when we're in the middle of planning, we're in the middle of strategic planning. We've just come out of some strategic planning. It's very hard to keep that, you know, in an opposite, we went off campus. It's very hard to sometimes keep it there when you're in the middle of some things that mm-hmm. are very important for our future. Um, but then there's times where it's just enough is enough. We got to unplug and, you know, I've got to watch baseball or football and the Red Sox play the Blue Jays or something. And um, and, and, and just... Uh, we're on and opposite
0: sides on that one, just yeah. in case people were wondering.
1: Yeah, that's why I said yeah. the Blue Jays. <laughs> no, not Blue Jays. The, uh, t- yeah, Blue, Blue Jays. Toronto. That's the Blue Here. Jays. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> I think the other yeah, thing, too, uh, Carrie, that has really mm-hmm. helped us is to have really, really good friends that know how to have fun.
3: Yeah. So mm-hmm. We knew
2: we needed people in our lives that were just fun. Because if we hung up with people just like us, then then we'd be talking about church and intense things forever. At least I would. So we've got some great friends in our lives, ministry friends that are just all uh, uh, fun. I call them my vitamin D. They bring such sunshine yeah. to us and remind us to play and have fun and walk the beach and look for shells and and just be normal and enjoy life. And so our friends are an important part of Absolutely. living a balanced, refreshed life for sure. Absolutely. I'm glad
0: you mentioned that, you know, because that's something that's become really important to me. I talk about it when I teach on leadership with leaders if I'm talking about the personal journey. But it's amazing to me how few ministry leaders really have life-giving friendships where, Mm -hmm. you know, they laugh until they cry, where you lose track of time, where you actually do fun stuff together. And that's okay. You should do it. That's one of the reasons we boat. You know, we have a boat that is a lot of fun when you go out there and you pull people behind the tube or you water ski. Like you just need moments like that. It refreshes you. You know, and, and, out, and that's right? not. It might be guns, or it might be fishing, or something else. Mm-hmm. You know, like it doesn't have to be. Everybody has different stuff that they love to do.
2: A part of being a good friend is having uh, people in your life that'll speak truth to you. Yeah. You know, that'll tell you you're getting off here, or you're doing too much here. Or, have you looked at this? Have you thought about that? We need people in our lives that are going to be real with us. Good friends, really good friends. Yeah, and, absolutely. And so we're grateful we have them. Really grateful. Very grateful.
0: Have you had, over these four decades, a leadership philosophy that's kind of guided you or helped you along the way? Have you developed that?
1: Yeah, we were very young. Um, it really didn't really register till years after I heard this in my heart. But the church was fairly young, and maybe we might have been like five years old. And I heard in my heart, um, it's not about building a great church. It's about building a great people. hmm and and so that really has marked us. We haven't really worked at building a great church, but we've worked tirelessly and with a lot of joy to build great people. And if I can get our people to understand the greatness that's in them um, and see themselves through God's eyes and through the through God's word, it's amazing the greatness that comes out of them. And great people build great churches. So So mm. we've always made it about people, 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 and not about just systems and and, and growth ideas and so forth, but but we've, we we do that. But we pour ourselves into helping people become recognizing the greatness in them, and that has absolutely caused the church to come alive because of our people. Mm-hmm.
2: We've been in a, as you have, Carrie. We've been in a lot of green rooms over the past yep. forty years, before services and after services, and and really been disheartened with some of the conversations that we've heard you know, in those green rooms, conversations like, you know, we got to use the people to get the vision done. And, and, and Jonathan, and I we, we just, it just never sat right with us, even as a young mm-hmm. couple in ministry, use the people to get the vision done. What does that mean? The vision is the people, the vision is developing people, not using them to get your agenda done. God's agenda is to develop and disciple people. So hmm. that has really been our philosophy. It's not about building a great church. It's about building a great people. And it helps yeah. keep your heart right in what you do as well.
0: Uh, that's great. Now, one of the things you guys have done, because you've been in this church, which you started in 1981, for over 15 years now, and almost, uh, sorry, 15, 35, I can't count, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> 35 years. But you re-engineered it, like you did a radical overhaul what about a decade ago? Do you want to talk about that? Because I always think it takes courage to change what other people have started. It takes deep courage to change what you started. So tell mm-hmm. us about that.
1: Yeah, that's such a such a profound statement that you make, Kerry. I've, I've heard you teach that several times, and and uh, six years ago, actually, um, we we really began to implement some changes because we needed to reach the next generation. We just got mm-hmm. comfortable. Uh, we got set in our ways. We had reached plateaus. Uh, we were not in a very healthy place. I, I, I learned that there's three seasons a church goes through: uh, the movement, the museum season, and the mausoleum. Um, hmm. And in the movement, the, you're risk takers. In the in the museum, you're caretakers. In the mausoleum, you're undertakers. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and so you know, we had gotten comfortable. We were no longer really being risk takers. We started to be caretakers. Um, and we were just kind of coasting and, and we were getting older because we were getting older. Right. And, and, and so I had to learn to listen, the courage to listen to your, to those who love you. So my son began to talk to us and only like only a son can, uh, about the, the place we were in kind of stuck in the nineties, um, our look, uh, the way we did things, the way we did worship and so forth. And then a spiritual son wrote me a great letter, uh, and really, Opened my eyes to say, you know, this has to change. If this doesn't change now, we're going to be on such a downward spiral that we mm. might not be able to recover from this. And and we really made up our minds uh, six years ago to aggressively go after the next generation. So that means we we changed style, we changed the way we did things, how I prepared messages. Uh, we we really began to work at becoming more relevant. Uh, becoming more of a place where where uh, we included uh, more of of the next generation in our planning, in our thoughts, uh, it ch- it transformed everything. And I began to learn that you get what you preach. And I heard a minister say that years ago. So I mm. taught on change, I taught on generations. Uh, we began to lay the platform and foul the soil to put those seeds inside the soil. So that this thing could grow up, we have five generations uh, here at the church, sixty different nationalities and 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 the mm-hmm. and the good news is we we made these changes because I had twenty nine years of trust equity um, that that the people willingly followed and trusted us that we were going to make the right decisions and not destroy the church but make it so much better. And now today, you know we're experiencing the fruit of those seeds we sowed six years ago. And in six years, we, we, we doubled in size, and wow. we've gotten a lot younger, and, and it's just been a radical change in everything that we do. Ministry is so much fun. Uh, we, 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 we have more teams than ever doing the work, and we believe in the wisdom of the team. That's one of our core values, and, and we just don't do ministry alone. And it has, has transformed the fruit of what God has done.
0: That's amazing. Now, did you get pushback when you started engineering those changes?
1: I mean, we, we, we didn't get a lot. We we obviously, Good. on um, we had some people that questioned, no doubt, but nothing to the point that people left or people no longer wanted to be a apart. Uh, we just needed to make it clear. And yeah. uh, so, you know, and that's what we had to learn and how to make where we're going clear. We didn't know really where we were going ourselves. And uh, but but people stayed with us and helped us to identify and communicate where we were going and Um, And little by little, it just absolutely made a world of difference.
2: I was probably his biggest pushback, Carrie, because um, (laughs) (laughs) just bring, let's make it real here. I was probably his biggest pushback because I thought it was happening too fast. I thought this changes. It's just too fast, too much, too fast. But um, he made a really good point. At that point, he had 29 years of trust in this congregation. They really, really trust us. And, and I trust Jonathan's leadership too. So I, I just backed up and said, okay, you know, whatever you think, I'll follow you in this. And, um, there were some people who didn't understand, but nobody, nobody left the church. Everybody wow. stayed with it and, and push in the same direction because we were telling them this isn't about us anymore. It's about our kids and our grandkids. Now, what do you want for your children and your yep. grandchildren? And it helped them just get a different picture than the one that they had. So it was, um, it was quite an experience, those years of change.
0: I love the point you make that you got 29 years of trust. And you know, you're know you going to cash those in or you're going to waste them, one, mm-hmm. one of the two. And I love the fact that you knew that and you said, we're willing to go for broke for the future. And here we go, I'm going to cash in all those chips. And I think that's a really good challenge to leaders who have been there maybe five, 10 years or more that you've got trust in the bank. What are you using it for? And are you really casting a vision that's going to position yourself? Because you guys are coming to um, a season within a few years where you probably won't be in the active leadership role that Mm -hmm. you have been for these last four decades, right? And you're handing off a growing, vibrant ministry as opposed to one that's you know needs needs the paddles on the heart <laughs> to try to to try to help it find some exactly. life. Uh, Got to ask you a few more questions. Sure. Uh, let me ask you this: What's the greatest advice you've ever received?
1: Uh, one of the one that, that came to me, I was a young man, uh, you know, taking everything way too personal, uh, way too sensitive, mm. um, getting hurt a lot because my heart was on my sleeve. I'm a heart. I'm a heart guy. Yeah, I've learned that leadership is more heart than head, more art than science, and so. I was in that category and an uh, older minister said to me that I needed to really learn to chill out. He said, I, you're not, you just got to learn to toughen up. He said, you need to be like the cover of a leather Bible, tough, but still flexible. <laughs> um, and, and I, 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 cause he said, if, if, if you don't learn how to be flexible, if you don't learn how to toughen up, it, it won't be too soon that cynicism will take over. You'll lose your optimism and you'll become a cynic. And it's something that we work really hard at because cynical pastors are a dime a dozen. Mm -hmm. They're everywhere. And we work really hard at staying flexible, keeping our heart tender, doing whatever it has to do to keep our hearts clean. Um, So, so I, I, we definitely had to toughen up. We definitely, we didn't want to get hard because when you get hard, you get brittle, but we had to toughen up. We had to to learn that there, that, that the character was being built, that there was, work to be done inside of our character, but we were just way too sensitive and took everything so personal.
0: Hmm. That's good advice. How about for you, Verna?
2: I I also remember a time, I don't know if you're familiar with the late uh, Dr. Lester Sumrall, a great apostle of faith, and um, he was at our church once, and this was probably at least 25 years ago, before he went to heaven. And we had just been through, I think some people had left the church for some reason, and it, it, we were very sensitive, and we were just devastated over it. And uh, he looked at Dr. Summerall, and he just said, Dr. Summerall, this this great man of God that's been all over the world and has pioneered mm. so much. And Jonathan just looked at him and said, Dr. Summerall, does it, does it ever stop hurting? And Dr. Summerall leaned over the table in that restaurant, and he he pointed his little 80-year-old finger at me and Jonathan, and he said, Son, if it ever stops hurting, you're disqualified from the ministry.
1: Wow.
3: And
2: that just, you know, if it ever stops hurting, you can't minister to the people anymore. So
1: he went, well, he went on to say, honey, he went on to say that the fact that you hurt means you're okay.
2: Yes. Yeah, it, sure. it means so, your heart is so, still alive. Yeah. It's still
0: right. Working.
1: So he said, it, he said, if it doesn't hurt, now you're done. And I thought because it hurt so much that I was either a wimp or I couldn't handle this, and I I, I wasn't tough enough, and so forth. Um, and and he said the only way to be Jesus to the people is you got, you it, it it you have to keep it real and you have to keep your heart on your sleeve. Um, but the fact that it hurts means you're okay. And that just really transformed God.
0: us. That's good. Okay, a lot of young leaders listening. If there was one thing you could tell young pastors, what would it be? If you could only tell them one thing,
2: this is easy for me because it's one of the biggest lessons I've learned and it just, I don't know how I learned it, I guess, school of hard knocks, but I would just tell young pastors and their wives that are listening to remember this, that time is your friend. Time isn't the enemy. Time is a friend. You know, to everything there's a season. Life is made up of seasons and seasons come and seasons go, but time is your friend. If your children are little, don't rush through it enjoy it. It's a season. You're not going to have it again. You'll never get it back again. Time is your friend. It's not your enemy. And, you know, as I previously said, there's so much comparison going on and uh, everybody wants to be somebody else and get there faster than anybody else. And and time's not our enemy. It's our friend. And, And I would just encourage every young pastor and older pastors like us To remember that, that to everything, there is a season, there's a time, there's a purpose, but time is your friend. It's not an enemy. You're not in a race. Mm. Just enjoy. Jonathan always says, this isn't a sprint. Life isn't a sprint. It's a marathon. So I would say time is your friend.
0: That's great. How about for you, Jonathan?
1: Uh, I would say uh, right away, don't do ministry alone. You know, we were alone for so much Mm. um, and uh, too much. And in the beginning years, we didn't have, the relationships and the connections and the networks that we have now. So don't do ministry alone. Make sure you have a pastor. Um, make sure you you have a, you know, I, I believe in, in fathers and brothers. You know, mm. fathers, they've been there before. Uh, yeah. Brothers, you share ministry together. And I think we need both. We need both the fathers and the brothers uh, so that we can share our secrets and so we can have navigation of where we haven't been before, because uh, fathers have been there. and And a lot of guys I talk to, they don't have fathers and brothers. No. You know, they've got buddies, um, but they don't really have fathers and brothers. And and that's so key when you're young so that you can help navigate where you're going.
0: So you guys are moving into a whole new season of life, maybe a second half of life. What do you see as your role now as you move forward?
2: It's really interesting. Dr. Samaral, as I just spoke about him a minute ago, he said something else that, that is very impactful for us. He said... From when you're born from the ages zero to 30 is a season that you learn. From hmm. 30 to 60, you use what you learn. And then from 60 to your last day on the earth, you impart what you learned. And wow. so Jonathan and I have reached 60. We've yep. done the learning, we've used what we've learned. And so now our hearts are to impart and to coach and to share life with people, to be to young couples what we didn't have. We don't wow. want anybody to have to start the way we did. And right. so now we're in a season that we want to impart what we have learned to help others go f- farther, faster than we did.
1: Hmm. Yeah, uh, we love pastoring pastors. I, I love pastoring pastors and missionaries. I think missionaries get a raw deal sometimes because of their zeal. and um, But they need to be pastored like anybody else. But we love pastoring pastors, and so we keep, we keep it real. Um, and we, we just know... Um, one of the things that we are really good at is helping people change their perspective. Oftentimes that's all that is, is we have the wrong perspective. We're not seeing it Mm. right. Uh, We've got the wrong lens. And if we could just change our perspective, sometimes immediately we have immediate relief or immediate different uh, perspective of life or the person or the situation. Um, So we're looking forward to being coaching. We're looking forward to coaching. We're looking forward to, to being those mentors. We're looking forward to being in that place to help young couples we know that that we that when the season here at IFC, when we're not in that lead role, we're going to be just as busy, if not busier, um, traveling, um, you know, blogging, all the various things, writing the various things that we know are going to be so important to, to give away to others. Uh, we're givers. We love giving. We, mm. we that's just part of the, what keeps us alive is our generous spirit, um, and so we really look forward to being those coaches and coming alongside others uh, to help them in their marriage, uh, in their staff situations. Uh, You know, we have a lot of health in many areas, and we believe we have a lot to give. And we're not going to sit in a rocking chair uh, on the Mm. porch. That's just not our style. And uh, we're, we're looking forward to staying busy.
0: Is that something that people have to wait for, or is any of that available now? Like, I'm sure there's some leaders like, you know, this is like, we're over an hour, and they're like, I, I want more. Where where can they find more? Do they have to wait, or how does that work?
2: Actually, if they, if they want to know more about the church, they can go on to intlfamilychurch.com and see what we're doing there. But we have a new website, uh, Carrie, that's going to be launched in April, and that's called staythecourse.com. Okay. Staythecourse.com. And there's going to be resources and tools for pastors and leaders. Uh, for marriages and families. We want people to finish strong. We want we want young couples to get a great start, and we want the seasoned people like we are to finish strong and to go all the way. So they'll be coaching on there, workshops and events, events that we'll uh, make available to resource these people, and then also the LEAD conference, which you are such an awesome speaker at, oh, which is so a great. time w- where hundreds of people gather here uh, to be refreshed, spiritually but also in their leadership that's coming up in May 2018. So staythecourse.com will have some great resources and tools for for ministers.
0: Yeah. And that'll be live by the time this airs, which is which is yeah. awesome. And I'm so excited you're doing it. You know, th- this is such a great conversation. And I mean, we've had a chance to hang out at the lead conference and then at other events and uh, I'm I'm just like, yeah, you know what? There's there's just this sense that we all need someone like Jonathan and Verna in our life. And I'm so grateful that, you know, you sense this tug toward helping other leaders and what a refreshing and life-giving conversation. I just want to thank you both so much for it today.
2: Thank you, Carrie. And thank you for all that you do to resource and grow us.
1: It's been a privilege. Carrie, you're awesome. Love your heart. Mm -hmm. Love your practicality. Love your wisdom. Uh, We draw from it all the time. Your podcast is our favorite and uh, we, we really do value and appreciate you. One of the things Absolutely. that the last thing I could say is that we have learned um, that we don't fear the future. We pioneer it. Yeah. Um, we're not afraid of it. We're not afraid of tomorrow. We, we don't know what is in tomorrow, but we know who holds it. Um, and we are just so excited about pioneering the future without fear, without cynicism, without regret. And so we don't fear the future. We pioneer it.
0: Love that. I'm going to remember that one. Hey, guys, thank you so much. Jonathan, Thank you, Carrie. Verna, thank you.
2: Thank you.
0: Don't you just love leaders like Jonathan and Verna? I mean, they're doing a great job. And if you want more information on them, go to the show notes. You can find it at com slash episode 141. Thank you to all of you who continue to leave ratings and reviews and share this. If this is helpful, please do that. Hey, subscribers, we have a bonus episode coming up tomorrow. If you subscribe, you'll get it. It's an interview that a young leader did with me that I'm just super excited to share with you. So subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts, including iTunes or Google Play. And uh, remember, the High Impact Leader launch happening this week goes away before the Memorial Day weekend for all you Americans. And uh, for the rest of us, it goes away by Thursday night. So It's your last opportunity to jump in. I'm really excited about this release of the High Impact Leader because we've got all these new features, including a private Facebook group. We've got upgrades available for those of you who bought it before and maybe want some of the new stuff we're adding Um, and you can get the premium edition or the digital access edition. It's up to you. All the details are at thehighimpactleader.com, and I hope it helps you get time, energy, and priorities working in your favor. Thanks to the Unstuck Group and to trainedup.church. Make sure you check those guys out, and uh, we're back next week with an episode all about caring for your soul. And I'm really excited to bring this one to you. Um, It's with Lance Witt. And Lance has got a powerful story. And, well, why don't we just hear a little snippet of it right now?
2: Uh, This sounds darker than I think it actually is. But we know how to cloak selfish ambition in God talk. Sure, we do. Really, when you peel it back, I think what the Holy Spirit exposed in my life is that often... What really was the driver was about my need for significance and affirmation more than it really was God and his glory and building this beautiful thing called the Bride of Christ.
0: So all that and a lot more next week when Lance Witt is my guest. Remember the bonus episode coming up later this week. Again, subscribers, you get it all automatically. It just appears on your device. And that's what I do to all the podcasts I listen to. I just subscribe. So thanks for listening today. I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast.